0: We are in Matthew chapter 23 and we looked at the first half of this chapter a couple of weeks ago before our lectures. As we were noting that Jesus is standing in the temple complex and this is his final public sermon and what a finale of a sermon it is. As he stands up and starts calling people hypocrites and pronouncing woes upon them because of, of their falling and moving away from God. and throughout this chapter as he gives these uh, condemnations for what the people in the nation have done against God you're you're seeing where the people have moved far from God and so what we are doing in, in looking at this text is observing the ways that Jesus was showing that these people who claimed to be godly and pious and righteous were actually hypocrites now a couple of weeks ago in those First uh, 13 verses, we looked at that if you summarize some of the things that Jesus said there, what he was describing was that their words were not matching their actions, that they did things for the show, that they told people what to do but didn't do it themselves. It was very much a peripheral of trying to draw attention to themselves, be self-promoters while condemning everybody else. We're going to look at these Uh, Final four pictures now this morning and we'll make a summary at the end of the common thread of what was the problem as Jesus offers these condemnations upon these religious leaders as his final sermon in Jerusalem before all the people. And you'll notice in Matthew chapter 23, as was just read for us. The, the the first picture that we'll look at, but as we're continuing our count of seven, this would be number four, as we tack on from two weeks ago, is that what you see that these leaders were doing is that they were doing everything that they could to not fulfill the things that they said, to not keep their word. And, and that's you can read what was just read for us from verse 16. To verse 22, and it sounds really strange what Jesus is saying when he talks about if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing but swearing by the gold in the temple, he's bound by an oath. And you kind of read them and go, what exactly were they doing? That just sounds really strange. Uh, same thing a little bit later there when he talks about uh, swearing by the altar, it's nothing, but if you swear by the gift that's on the altar, Then it's binding. Uh, You had a very curious picture in that what they were doing is saying how you made your oath and gave your vow depended upon if you had to keep it or not. In fact, we have in some of the Jewish writings that if you took a vow by the Torah, it was not binding. But if your vow was by the contents of the Torah, then it was binding and as you listen to the pictures like that it sounds a little bit ridiculous to us but you might note that we sometimes have done things somewhat similarly in fact I always was a favorite of mine when we were kids and you have have your your friend come up to you and they would say you know you know I want you to swear that something is true and You'd say, oh yeah, it's true, and then it wasn't, and then they'd come back to you and say, I thought you said that was true, and you'd say, well, I had my fingers crossed behind my back, and so, you know, that that's why it was okay for me to do that. We, we, we play games like that, and trying to tell people, oh yeah, this is real, because I'm doing some particular action, and that makes it ultimately bind, binding, you might... Uh, Here sometimes even on TV today, like with reality shows and things like that, and trying to convince somebody of their word, they'll say, well, I, I swear on my mother's grave. And then they'll later on say, yeah, but my mom's not dead. And so then it's okay that they got out of it because they were finding some loophole in that. Or I'll swear on a stack of Bibles. So as much as this sounds really strange of, oh, well, if you swore by the altar, you could get out of it. But by the gift of the altar, you don't. We play those games in our society, too, of trying to get out of the words that we say to people. And one of the things that you'll notice that Jesus does here in this section is three different ways he calls them blind. He calls them blind guides, blind fools, and blind people. It's almost like saying If you can't see what's wrong with this, (laughs) if you can't see why trying to weasel out of your words because you had your fingers crossed or you swore by the altar or by the gold or something like that, then you truly are spiritually darkened because always you have a picture that God gives of his people are always to keep their word. In fact, I love how the psalmist words this in Psalm 15. When he gives characteristics of here's who are the people who can live with God, and one of his characteristics that he describes in Psalm 15 is this. They keep their oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind. You know, it's really easy to not want to keep your word when it hurts. You thought doing something or promising something or saying you would do something was no big deal. But then something happens and now it is a big deal and you start wrestling with, you know, do I really have to do what I said? (laughs) Do I really have to keep that promise? Do I really have to follow through with all of that? And one of the things that Jesus really drives at is that we are supposed to be a people of integrity. In fact, In the Sermon on the Mount, he pushes so hard about how we are supposed to be people of integrity that we would not be required to have to take an oath because our word would be believable. That we would be so consistent in keeping our word and doing what we said and that our yes was yes and our no was no. That when someone came up to us and we said something, their first response would not be, now will you swear by that? (laughs) They would just know. They would know that we are people of integrity. They would know that our word matters. And that when we say something, then we're going to follow through in that. And what you see Jesus putting his finger on here with these people is... They were very happy to look for ways to get out of doing the things that they said, the things that they promised, and the things that they vowed. Whatever they could do to get out of it, however they could manage it, they were going to get out of it. And that, Jesus says, is being a blind guide and hypocritical before God. Let us be a people who do what we say. And I want you to think about. before I move to the next point. You know how radically different that would make us in a world right now who always are full of integrity and always do what we say? In a world right now that doesn't do what they say and find lying to be the most obvious way to get out of anything and, uh, in a world that says it doesn't really matter what we say or do. We just do what's convenient and comfortable for us. To be people who always follow through on our yeses and our noes can be a really big light in the culture around us. I want you to know the second picture, verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done Without neglecting the others, you blind guys straining out a net, I'm sorry, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Alright, hypocrite way number five is Focus on keeping all the laws you want to keep, but don't worry about the ones you want to break. Let's talk about what you see happening in this scene. I think it is an it is amazing picture of how he describes the problem as it is. And I want you to carefully read what he says And he says, here you are, and you are tithing even these very small plants. Once you imagine, as you were in that day and time, and you're under the law of Moses, and the tithe was one of the requirements of all the things that not only were your income, but the things you possessed. And the Pharisees taught, well, you need to tithe that 10%, even to the smallest of the plants and spices that you have in your home. And you would probably read that and go, Man, that is really detail-oriented. I mean, that seems kind of extreme. You're supposed to even follow it down to the little details. But I want you to notice that Jesus does not say in this text that that is absolutely ridiculous that you did something like that. I want you to notice that he observes there and says, "You in verse uh, in verse 20, 20, end of verse 23, you ought... To have done, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. The problem is, he says, while you were worried about all the details, you forgot some important things. You forgot justice, mercy, and faithfulness. The problem, as Jesus illustrates it here, is a problem of you are focusing so much on the details. And I would say the parenthetical is, and glad you are. But in focusing on those things of tithing, even these spices and mints and plants, you forgot there were other things that God has called for you to do. You forgot about faithfulness. You forgot about mercy. You forgot about justice. You were so zeroed in on these particular things. And I would say the things that you wanted to keep, you know, that's why you do them. That's why you're focused there. That you miss some of these other things that were very important in the law and instead miss them. In fact, I love the imagery of how they missed it in verse 24. You blind guide straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. The imagery here is we're not used to, but... You know, if you're going to have a glass of water in ancient, ancient Near Eastern times and you'd probably have some bugs and things like that. And so you'd strain it as you were pouring it into your cup to get all the bugs out. And make sure you didn't have any gnats in what you're about to drink. And so here you are worried about straining gnats going into your cup and a camel falls in. <laughs> like you, you really were looking for that little dot and missed the big thing coming at you. That's what he's saying they've done. Here you focused on on straining out a net. That's great. Glad you did. But did you pay attention to the big things? Did you you miss those as as well? Now, I think not only do you see that Jesus has quite a sense of humor by using that illustration, but I, I, I think it is helpful to see that this is a curious phenomenon that we as humans truly have a tendency to do. We either have the tendency when it comes to God's ways and come to God's laws to focus so closely on the details that we end up missing big key concepts and teachings or we are so interested in focusing on the big key concepts and teachings that we miss the details (laughs) it is a really interesting pendulum that seems to fling back and forth it's like we're going to make sure we get these details right but then we miss some really big important concepts so we're like okay let's pay attention to those important concepts and we allow the details to go swinging right by I'll say this in fact it is this is something that is so important to me that it is my plan Lord willing in the front end of next year to do a sermon series and talking about deconstructing faith because this is kind of a wonderful fad of sorts that has been going on right now and I say wonderful in a sarcastic way because it is gaining so much steam. And yet I understand what is happening in in hearing about these things is that I'm disturbed for myself that I know so many people who are close to me, who are friends of mine, people that I care about, who have missed this key balance between, yes, we need to focus on these important weighty matters of God, but at the same time, not dismissing the details upon which God has given us. For me, and if I look back at my lifetime and look back at what I grew up in and the messages that I heard and what was like kind of the consistent theme, I think there was a very heavy emphasis on making sure that the details were correct about repentance Immersion in water to wash away sins, how the money is used by the church and that it would be used in approved ways that our worship would be proper and that we would look for authority in all that we do. These are important details that God has given us to do, but it seems to be that there's such now a push and says, but because these bigger matters like love and faithfulness and mercy and grace were neglected We're going to leave the details, and all that matters is we have God's love, and we love one another, and we all have faithfulness, and we all have mercy, and we all have grace. And it's disturbing to see that there's been such a reaction to this, and especially because I understand what a lot of people probably saw was that in the midst of talking about these kinds of issues, about these details that were very important— you saw people who claimed to be followers of Christ who were slanderous, unkind, arguing, dividing, quarreling, fighting, and it was like, what, what, is, what is going on in the process of this? And I think that now there's been such a reaction now against that, that now all the concern is, is, well, do we have compassion and do we have mercy and do we love God? And as long as we have those weightier matters, then that's ultimately all that matters. And I want to emphasize from what other side you may be coming from is that God is showing us here there is a need to focus on the big things and the big concepts of God's Word, but that doesn't mean to skip the details. So often, in the rush to say, here's the things that we neglected, we now neglect things that shouldn't be neglected. And this is apparently what was happening here. Here is this focus on, man, they are nailing the tie. They are tithing even the smallest of things. And you would, you would watch that and you'd probably think, wow, they are righteous and pious. Look at how they are getting the tithe for every little thing. That's amazing. Jesus goes, yeah, but you missed some things. And I wonder today with what we see happening, if Jesus wouldn't say the same thing to the opposite side. That I'm so glad that you are focusing on love and mercy and grace and justice and the character of God and who he is and what he's done. But don't leave behind the details that matter of what we do before God matters and how we approach God matters and how we worship God matters and what he tells us to do matters not only as individuals in our lives as we stand before him, but as a congregation together that that matters before God And yet so often we choose to drop out one and hold to another. And I think to me, the sum of that is what we're doing is we're focusing on the laws we want to keep. I think if we're just raw, honest about it, there are things that we want to focus on because those are the ones that we like or that they're easier to do. I can imagine as a Pharisee, be like, tithing all my plants, that's really easy. So let's focus on tithing plants and spices. No problem, right? But, you know, mercy, that's not easy. (laughs) And you start boiling down to what it means to truly love God and love people. That's not easy. And so we'll choose the things that we want to ultimately focus on. I hope that you see in this paragraph that you will notice that Jesus does not tell us to just focus on the big things and skip the details. Rather, he wants us... To understand that these weightier matters of the law inform us on how to practice the details. As you understand the character of God and mercy and grace and justice and faithfulness, that will help you understand how to follow Those precious details of what it means to repent before God and stand before God and worship God and do all the things that God has asked us to do. I would make a a plea here to my friends that, that I know who I'm not talking to anybody in this room as I say it, but my plea would be don't leave the details simply because you saw hypocrites emphasize the details. Don't leave the details just because you saw people practice the details wrong and miss the weightier matters. Find the weightier matters. Follow the weightier matters. But don't discard the details. They're there for a reason. God has given us everything in this word with purpose and meaning that we need to follow. Do not cast those out. But the warning to us is don't just keep the laws you like. And skip the ones you don't like. And that's really easy to do. It's really easy to say, here are some details I don't like, so I won't do them. Or here are some big issues that I am not concerned about, so I won't practice them. We have to do all of what God has said. And we need to follow the big weightier matters as well as the details, Jesus calls them blind and hypocrites for failing to understand that truth. Number six, verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the outside, or excuse me, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. A simple problem of hypocrisy here is pretend to be righteous when you're not. (laughs) <laughs> Pretend to be devoted. Make sure all of the outside just looks really good to everybody. And if you keep that outside looking pretty, then that's all that matters. That seems to be their, their way of looking at things. is a very outside-in approach. As long as the outside looks good, then everything's fine. Which, if you think about it, is ultimately the absolute de- definition of a hypocrite. Outside looks one way, and the inside's completely different. That's the whole problem. And that's what Jesus is driving at at this point. And I think it is useful to note something in the way Jesus talks about the means of holiness here. I want you to catch what he says. Jesus does not say that if you clean the outside of the cup, that'll make the inside clean. That should be notable to us. Jesus doesn't say, you know, if you just get that outside looking really, really good, then everything on the inside is going to be just fine. The Pharisees and the scribes and these religious teachers were really good at the outward appearance of righteousness. They had cleaned things up to such a degree that when people looked at them, they thought they were on the highway of holiness to heaven. You might remember when Jesus condemns these Pharisees at different points you have the disciples even say who can be saved if they're not in I mean look at them they are just full of righteousness right and Jesus is saying no 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 I think it is so important to observe that Jesus is showing us cleaning the outside doesn't solve the problem of a polluted inside notice the cleaning that he describes in this text in verse 26 He says, first clean the inside. Notice why. So that the outside may also be clean. There is something that is amazing about the idea of how God is working on transformation inside out. Is that God is trying to transform hearts. And sometimes what we have the tendency to do is only look to the symptoms of the problem. Here is a particular sin. I need to stop that sin. And I'm glad you look at those things in that way. But one of the things to consider even more deeply is what is the root of that problem? What is the root of that sin? Change the inside, change the heart so that that outcome can finally be dealt with. And what you had the Pharisees doing is just trying to deal with externals so that for the moment, everything looked good. You're in an assembly, looking good, looking like a Christian around your family, looking good, looking like a Christian. But inside, that was where all the problems were. And Jesus is reminding us here that we need to clean the inside. To say this another way, it doesn't do any of us any good If all we're doing is faking it for a couple hours in front of everybody. You know, what good is that? What do you think you've accomplished? It's almost like we pretend that God only sees for three hours a week. And as long as things look good for these three hours, we're on our way to heaven. And and God goes, I know the inside. Clean the inside. Clean the heart. Allow transformation to happen inside out. Let that change happen. And unfortunately, we can have the tendency to do what I like to do with the weeds in my yard. Let the lawnmower cut the top. Looks really good for a few days or so, but then the weeds come growing back again. But man, for a day, my grass looks great. (laughs) But is there a willingness to pull those weeds out by the roots to get to the heart of the problem? and not just simply mow it over so that it looks good for everybody. This is the problem. They were just mowing it over. They were just worried about the external. And are we willing to really get to the heart of the matter, really get to the heart of the problem? And truly, transformation is going to be in this, that we would begin to have a heart for God that loves Him more than the sins of the world. That's ultimately the target. If we are going to move toward holiness and clean the inside, then that is going to require a love for God that is greater than a love for sins. Because so long as we love our sins, we will always choose the sin over God. Cleaning the inside requires developing such a deep love for God. That you will start saying yes to him and saying no to sin. Otherwise, we're still just cleaning the outside of the cup. and we're still making things look pretty. We've got to get to the heart of the matter of loving God so that we will want to choose him over sin. All right. Last picture. Verse 29. Woe to you. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Let's stop there for that reading. I think this is a really fascinating picture and probably not one that you would readily jump on and say, well, this is clear hypocrisy. But one of the things that you'll notice is that they were condemning the sins of the past. we've, We've heard the stories of what our ancestors did and how they rebelled against God and how they sinned and violated God's law. And we would never do something like that. If we had been alive in that day and time, we would have never done that. And he says, but here's the problem. You are. (laughs) <laughs> that is really easy to look to the sins of the past of others and go, Well, they made some terrible sins and some awful mistakes, and I would have never done that, except you're committing the very same sins now. They think they would have done better if they had lived in that time. It's funny how sometimes we can think that way. I like to think that way. If I was in the garden and I only had one law, don't eat of the fruit of the tree. I just one law, I could keep it, right? <laughs> no, I would like to think that uh, give me one rule and I can follow it, but that's probably not the case. I've disproved that a few times, right? You go, go to a national park and there's this yellow line that's there that says don't cross it. And of course, your first tendency is to wonder, well, why can't I cross that? I don't think that's going to be just fine. I, I, don't, I don't understand the problem. I, even in the heart of our very nature, we challenge and question rules and laws and think that can't be right. I'd like to think that if we were the people of the wilderness, we would have never complained as we would have been on our journey to the promised land. It was only a 10 day trip that they had to take and it turned into a 40 year wandering and surely we would have not been like them. I mean, how can people complain when they're on to the way to the promised land? I thought Dave did an amazing lesson on complaining last week, so I won't go there. But that was phenomenal with that. Or I'd like to think that if I saw the Red Sea part in a miraculous way, I would never have weakness of faith or distrust God in any way. We so often can be the very thing that this text is talking about, is that we look at the people of the past and say, how silly that you would commit such sins like that, when all the while we're doing the very same thing. We're not learning From those sins, learning from their mistakes, and changing our lives to be what God wants us to be. I I love how the the writer of Hebrew, or the writer of Romans here, the Apostle Paul says it in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, that he says, Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope these things were recorded for us to teach us so that we wouldn't make the same mistakes, that we would learn the lessons that God was teaching to those people in days past, and that we would then go forward with a renewed vision and a renewed desire to obey him, that God has given us so much in his word. But here's the problem is that what a hypocrite does as Jesus is defining it, is we read the word of God, We know the word of God. We can tell you all about the word of God, but it doesn't change us or move us. We know all about it. We read about it, can tell you about it, tell you all those stories, grew up in Sunday school, got all those things down, but it doesn't move the needle at all. That's what had happened to these people. If God's word does not move us and does not change us, then ultimately we are nothing more than hypocrites before God. Two things for our ending then. In our last lesson of those first three woes and those characteristics that we saw about being a hypocrite, we saw a people that were more interested in the show, they were unwilling to practice what they had proclaimed. And I want you to note that there is a theme that is, I think, found through these four woes as well, is that here is a picture that Jesus describes of the hypocrite, and that is this. Maintain spiritual status quo. Don't make any changes. Don't be transformed by God's glory. Don't be changed by his goodness. Because what Jesus has done is he has found that these people... They are unwilling to keep their word. They only focus on the laws that they want to keep. They have an appearance of righteousness, but they're allowing filth to remain inside of them. And they keep committing the same sins of people in the past. Just keep the facade. Just keep focused on the laws you keep. Don't be convicted by your sins. Don't make any radical changes. Just keep doing what you're doing. (laughs) And to put this another way, Hypocrisy just means you never move forward. You never grow. You never push in his direction. You just keep doing the same spiritual thing without any growth, without any change, without any transformation. Friends, we have to be very careful that we do not become comfortable with spiritual mediocrity. Just keep the same status quo and never push to greater levels of maturity. Never push for greater levels of participation. Never push for greater levels of knowledge. Never push for a deeper relationship with God. Just keep status quo. Just keep coming. Just do some of your bare minimums. Don't be really bad and you're going to be a-okay. And I want you to see that's what Jesus is attacking here in these people is they had all the show of righteousness. Righteousness. And he calls them hypocrites. And he calls them blind. And he calls them, in verse 33, serpents and vipers who are not going to escape the sentence of hell. Jesus is talking very strongly to us. Do not allow a spiritual averageness to be the place where hypocrisy now grows but instead press into God and be transformed by his image as you grow in your knowledge of him deeper and deeper in every way. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, there are so many ways that we can unintentionally not see how blind we are and we don't see that we have become spiritually lazy, that we have lost our zeal. We don't have the same fire and earnestness and intensity for you that we had in the past. And Lord, sometimes we can fail to see that we've hit a plateau and are no longer pressing on. So Lord, I pray that you would give us an honest evaluation, that, that we would truly consider where we are spiritually before you. Help us to see the kind of depth of love that we have for you. Help us to see if all that we are doing is simply a facade and for a show. Help us to see if we are not truly moving forward, that we're not growing deeper in you, that we're not growing in knowledge or in participation or in joy in you or a love toward you. Help us to see all the areas that we may be falling short. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to then have a heart that will move to change. Lord, reignite the fire in our hearts so that we do not lose sight of all that you have done for us and be changed by it. And Lord, help us to not ever be spiritually content with where we are. And help us to see there is so much more that we can learn about you, so much more in how we can love you, so much more in how we can love others and such a deeper relationship that's available to us if we'd seek it, Lord. So help us in those efforts. And Lord, forgive us for any areas that we've talked about today in which there has been hypocrisy in our lives. Forgive us for where we have come up short. Forgive us when we haven't lived up to our words. Forgive us when we have only chosen to obey the laws that we want to keep. Forgive us for when we willfully sin, knowing the sins of the past, but not choosing to move on past them. Lord, help us to be the people that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Sing an invitation song. We invite you to come to Jesus this morning. This is your opportunity to come to him this very day before it is too late to make those changes. Uh, I, I hope that we would be convicted by Jesus' words, that we would not want to stand before God on the day of judgment. And him peer right through us and say, yes, I know the outside looked really good, but the inside was filthy. The inside had not been changed. The inside had not been made clean. We want to help you do that. We want to help you draw closer to God to get to know Him more deeply so that those transformations can be made. If you're ready to make that change today, to turn away from sin, to confess Jesus to be the Son of God who died for your sins, be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins and start a relationship with Him this day, we would love for you to make that choice today. You can talk to one of us afterward about your desire and how we can help you in that or you can come forward right now while we stand. and while we.